Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. Today we are going to explore the link between ASMR and animal rights. About seven years ago, one of my all-time favorite ASMR artists, Whispers Red, also known as Emma, posted a video called ASMR Dog Spa and Massage, and then four years ago, a video called ASMR Veterinary Checkup. And in both of these videos, she's caring for a dog in a fantasy place called Wispows. So imagine my confusion and surprise when in 2021, she announced that Wispows was now a real place, a sanctuary for dogs located in Serbia. I was so happy to learn the news and it just increased my admiration for Whispers Red, whose love for animals shines brightly through her work. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for asking me on. That's such a nice introduction. Thank you. Of course. I want to start by talking about ASMR because it is at the heart of everything you do. And I think you're the most knowledgeable person there is on this topic, full stop. I don't know about anyone else who has thought so deeply about ASMR. In fact, you literally wrote the book on the topic. It is called Unwind Your Mind. And there you make the point that ASMR is much more complex, profound, and multidimensional than we think. So my first question for you is, what's so special about ASMR? Um, It's a form of healing, for sure. And healing, for me, is something that puts us into a state of calm and presence so that our bodies can heal themselves. I think we are all healers of ourselves and each other. Um, ASMR is a way to become still, specifically for people who experience the ASMR tingle sensation. It's a, it's an actual physical sensation. Um, there are people that make videos to give the sensation. And so ASMR is kind of perceived as a video or a type of video, but it's actually a physical sensation. And it's like a tingly feeling that starts in the crown of your head and works its way down the back of your head and down your spine. And if you experience it, you've had it all your life, basically. And I can't remember a time when I didn't feel it. And people say, when did you first feel it? Well, I don't know when I first felt it because I've always felt it. So I was probably feeling it you know, as, as a tiny baby. Um, and when we feel this feeling, we just become so still and focused. Um, one of my favorite triggers for the feeling would have been when I was little watching my dad do building work because he was a builder and I would just sit and watch him build walls and move his tools around and I was so fixated on the movements and the progress of the wall and all of the details of it that I would just sit there especially if you know being outside I could hear the birds and and the breeze and I would just feel this feeling um I would feel it when people played with my hair I would ask my siblings to draw letters on my back and um 
So it's just a really calm, calm, focused feeling, but with this lovely, tingly feeling in your head. And when we feel still and when we feel calm, we're in that state where, well, we're certainly not in fight or flight mode, so we're not feeling anxious. We're just feeling super calm, and that's very healing for us. So I, 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 I would suggest that it's um, it, it ASMR is along the same lines of other healing modalities and uh, complementary therapies. What you're pointing to is a type of mindfulness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so underrated. I mean, when I look around and even at my life, it's so hard to just put down the the cell phone and just pay attention to what's happening around you because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it feels so boring. The, your environment feels so boring. You want to just escape or uh, add some spice to your life and compared to the entertainment out there it's just it doesn't compete you you know it's hard to just sit there and look at the landscape or uh something like that so what do you say to to people who struggle with that well it's quite sad really isn't it because there's so much stimulation around these days um through the phone and it's de- it's it's just on tap isn't it well i grew up without the internet and there were only four channels on the TV when I was little and programs couldn't be recorded and you couldn't just stream them whenever you wanted. You had to be there sitting down watching at the right time that the program was on. So everything moved slower. And as children, we were more able to self-soothe with the sounds that were around us and the visuals that were just around us. And we were more fulfilled by our surroundings. So I feel very lucky to have grown up in that um, society, if you like. And um, so I, I see my own children now and they are sometimes overwhelmed with stimulation. And so it's a matter of bringing that down, you know, limiting the amount of time on the screens, um, sitting down and having conversations, pointing out, as 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 perhaps you would say mundane things about about the our environment but there are sounds everywhere and there's also a rise in anxiety have you noticed with uh, younger people as well so perhaps it's time to just bring that down and, and maybe change the language it's not boring it's it's actually very interesting if you look and if you listen and if you just give it time and um, and listen to yourself. I mean, even listening to the sounds inside your own body, we don't do that even. Sit in a quiet room and listen to your own body. There's sound everywhere. And, um, you know, when we sit in, in stillness as well, we have to deal with things that are going on in our mind. And But that's a really good thing. It's very difficult to do, and it's easy to escape from these days. But we ought to do that. We ought to process things in our mind and think for ourselves and just take a moment to think something through that we might have heard someone say during the day and think, well, what do I think about that? You know, does that make sense to me? Or 
you know we we just need to we need to have time to process our surroundings a little bit more and you know i feel a, a little bit guilty because i'm part of the problem i'm creating a podcast and people are always listening to some podcast while doing something else they're they're distracted yeah th there is um, a great benefit to being more uh, mindful and silencing your mind uh, and, and paying attention to your surroundings. Um, but there's also the the other part that plays into um, destroying your mental health, which is uh, the bad thoughts that you might have. So there is the distraction part, and then there is the mental dialogue that is often negative in people. And I feel like ASMR, in addition of encouraging people to uh, seek the quiet, seek the um, more calm state, it there is also this loving kindness discourse uh, that that comes with it. So can you speak uh, about that? Well, there's a lot of positive affirmation in in um, ASMR videos. So, yeah, we do have negative talk within us, don't we? But that's part of the process. And that's something that that, that we do need to be in that moment so that we can process. Um, perhaps it's something to do with personal responsibility and um, taking responsibility for our for, for what we take in here. Um, obviously what we take in there we think about that but what we take in here is important too and in here and and you know you said before about being part of the problem well you're you're talking about important subjects and you're allowing people that those that time to think about the the things that have been said in your podcast so it's a choice isn't it we choose to listen to a certain thing and then if we give ourselves time to think about it afterwards what do I think about that did I agree with this did I agree with that are there any things that um are, are there any parts of that podcast that I could take into my daily life and perhaps I could you know adopt that way of of being um so it's I don't know I, I don't know whether it's you, it's not about being part of the problem. It's that we all have a responsibility to decide what goes in, and 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 what we press play on and not. You know whether we just flick through TikTok, or we spend that time to listen to something that's going to nourish nourish our our mind. And you know I like to do cooking with with um, earphones in and listen to something, or music, or but that's a choice for me. And an, and another choice again to is to have some time later, where perhaps I'm taking my makeup off at night and I don't have anything on, and I'm just I'm just using that time to be quiet. So it's it's just about personal responsibility, I think. Yeah, I think it's part of my inner uh, negative discourse <laughs> about you know myself. <laughs> um, well, we all do that. We, we all do that. Oh yeah. Um, for someone who's listening and who is not very familiar with uh, ASMR, what video you have made in the past uh, would you recommend uh, for that person uh, to watch as an introduction to the ASMR world? Um, well, first of all, ASMR isn't for everybody and not everybody experiences the feeling and the videos are made to give the feeling in the viewer 
if they don't give the feeling quite often they give just pure relaxation and calm because because the sounds are very slow and very gentle the voice is very gentle and soft you know I would speak a lot quieter than I'm speaking now to you um, in in a video and sometimes I would whisper so I wouldn't suggest any particular one video for someone I would I would suggest that they think oh do you know do I feel that feeling yes or no if it's a no then what kind of sounds do I like what kind of sounds uh, make me feel calm is there anything that I would like to listen to in the background when I'm going to sleep that would help me feel calm that's how I found ASMR because I was looking for rainforest sounds to help me fall asleep and I ended up finding ASMR videos. <clears throat> and then and then I realized that there was a name for this feeling I'd always had. So um yeah, I would I would just suggest having a think about which sounds make you feel nice and, and are there any sounds that you experienced in your childhood that you liked, or any physical sensations, anything, you know, uh, any kind of nurturing sensation. And um, and then just go, go in with an open mind, type in ASMR and see what comes up. Keep going. Don't necessarily go for what comes up first because it might be something <laughs> that's not ASMR. <laughs> it's not everything labelled ASMR actually, is it? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I'm quite old school in the way that I do things. I'm quite kind of motherly and, and and calm and I don't tend to follow the algorithm so much so I don't tend to do videos that um are the highest search terms <clears throat> I have um, been yeah. do strange things for views if, if you if you get what I'm saying I have been listening to ASMR for more than eight years now I think maybe nine years it started at my you know last year of high school you know it was a, a storm of anxiety because of final exams, because I had to choose a career and what to study in college. And that's when I looked up some videos about relaxation on YouTube and then found uh, an ASMR video. And I, I was just hooked uh, since that moment. But yeah, I don't recognize... Uh, it's not the same as nine years ago right now, what's coming up uh, as ASMR videos. And I, I don't, it's not, doesn't feel as good or familiar to me than what I was used to. And I always thought that maybe it's a, an imprinting or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, ASMR is a very natural thing, like I say, ultimately it's a physical sensation and that will never change the ways of presenting it interpreting it um the ways of doing asmr online will be different because everyone's perception is different and not everybody actually experiences the feeling but they still like asmr videos so they'll make them as uh, you know in a way that they like to listen to them you know some people like really fast sound um some people prefer really quiet sound i would suggest that people who actually experience it would would more prefer the the quieter calmer sounds um 
but then but then we're we're doing this very natural thing on a commercial platform which is run by an algorithm so it's never going to it's not always going to represent it in the way that 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 it is to everybody because there are keywords and there are you know some people are better looking than others in their thumbnails you know so they'll get more clicks and some people you know don't have time to upload that often but they might be an amazing asm artist but they just make one video a month you know so that the the numbers and everything hang on my chair's just collapsed oh it happened happens to me <laughs> every time <laughs> hang on a minute we will edit that out <laughs> hey, you might have to <laughs> Hang on. There we go. It's working now. <laughs> oh dear. Hang on. It happens. I wouldn't mind if you didn't edit it. <laughs> At least we make people laugh. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Um so you were talking about the different types and the algorithms, how it influences the content of uh, ASMR videos. Yeah, I, I remember one year when um, I noticed, the first year I noticed um, when the, the algorithm was kind of determining which were the more popular ASMR videos because of keywords. And then the more people make them, the more that video is pushed. So it became, I remember one year it became that hair videos were were the main part, the main type of ASMR. Um, and of course now it's different, it changes all the time. Um, but the, the community itself started very, very small and it was the Whisper community and, and there were just a few channels and, um, and the people um, who ran the channels were just whispering to each other really. And it was a small community. And then it grew from there and became more popular because people were using the videos night after night to fall asleep. And then more people would make videos. And then money came into it because they were more popular and, and channels were becoming monetized. Um, I remember the first couple of years, I didn't even, I didn't monetize any videos. I didn't even it took me a while to realize that you could even monetize on YouTube because I've never really used the internet before I started YouTube. Um, but now it's all different. You know, people would start their Patreon before they even make the first video. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's, that's the way the world is. Everybody's got to eat and everyone needs, you know, everyone has to work. And if you can work doing something like this, then why not? It's amazing. Of course. And yeah, uh, nowadays, everyone has a strategy and uh, fantastic marketing the, skills. Yeah. I mean, the kids <laughs> these days are growing up knowing how to market themselves, and I think that's just incredible. I mean, I didn't even know how to put eyeshadow on when I was their age. We would literally just take the palette. It, it wasn't even a palette; it was just one color. Get your thing, take your finger, go like this, rub it on your eye, off you go. <laughs> Now there's a brush for everything and a colour for everything and a palette for everything. And people are more self-aware these days because of social media. But for me, that is like the superficial part. What I'm 
looking for in a ASMR video is that self-affirmation in combination with uh, the uh, the trigger, and mm. that's something that I can easily find in, for for example, your videos. I feel like the loving kindness em emanates from every video you make, and I was wondering where do you find the energy, the um, you know the, the that feeling of loving kindness and and bringing that up at every video i mean i would not have that big of a reserve of you know <laughs> love for uh for for videos or for anything uh really so i was wondering where do you find that compassion that kindness um for every video you make um, I think it's important to just be yourself. And if I wasn't being myself, then I wouldn't be able to do it because it would be an act. So it's not always easy because I'm living in the same world as everybody else. And there's always something going on to make you feel like, what on earth am I doing here? Someone's dumped me on the wrong planet. Um, but then I realized that we're all going through it together. We're all connected. And it's important that we all just keep going because if we don't, then more bad things will happen. And we just all need to be the best that we can in order to encourage other people to be the best that they can. And then perhaps we've got a little bit of hope. So, I don't know, I just, uh, I just, I've always been the person that I am and I just feel like finally I've got a purpose and an avenue to be that, to be who I am. And I found somewhere that I can be that person and be accepted because to be like that, in day-to-day -day life isn't always accepted you know I'll have I've had plenty of relationships friendships in my in my life where the way that I am doesn't work hmm. for instance you know and so I found I, I would I would have been in the past someone who was kind of a people pleaser um, a yes person do for others all the time I was taught to be like that from a very young age I grew up in a village and we all helped each other that's what we did and then I moved to a big city and I continued to be that person and it was a bit weird because <laughs> not everybody was like that <laughs> so when and I'd find myself in relationships with other people where I was giving more than they were and I was doing for them all the time and they were leaning on me and I just felt I, I thought that that was great that I was doing something lovely but actually it was wearing me out. So I found a place that I can be who I am and it benefits the maximum amount of people without extending me too much because what I'm doing is actually being in my garden shed and just being myself and I'm, and I'm not physically around everybody's energy enough to feel it and become exhausted, if that makes sense. Of course. So, 
So it it isn't it isn't that hard. It would be harder in a live situation. I, I'd find it very very difficult to be, for instance, a counsellor. How how difficult must that be? Or a teacher? Um, I would find it very difficult to be in a physically social situation like that, because being around everybody else's pain and energy and you know even happiness and sadness or all the range of feelings i would find exhausting because i would absorb the whole thing i recognize myself so much in you and yeah. in what you've just described and yeah um you're kind with other people and you give with i think the expectation that it will also trigger compassions of kindness and feeling and generosity in the person to whom you direct all of those wholesome feelings. But sometimes it just doesn't. Uh, quite the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, often when you are that person, you end up um, being attracted to um, unconscious, uh, subconsciously or unconsciously. Um, and those people are attracted to you because you are a doer. And there are people who take and take and take a lot, aren't they? There are lots of different types of people in this world. And um, if you're not careful, then you can be surrounded by people who will take from you. But that's not necessarily their fault either. They're, they're being enabled. You're enabling them. You're not you're not giving them responsibility. I remember when I went to counselling, I had PTSD, and that was that was one of the reasons why I found um, ASMR. And I went to PTSD therapy, and my therapist said something which is so simple, and but I, heaven knows why it didn't occur to me already. She said, "But if you if you go around doing everything for everybody, you're not teaching them." to learn to do it for themselves mm. you're stopping them from learning that's you're not doing them a service you think you're helping them but you're not and then perhaps you start to think to yourself well maybe i'm being actually selfish because i want to give myself this lovely feeling and feel of worth um by doing something for someone else but actually you're getting this wonderful good feeling and and this this powerful feeling from being being able to do things but you're not helping them because they're not they're left with the thing done but they didn't learn how to do it so now you've got to do it all again mm. when they need to do it again i i completely agree and it reminds me of a saying uh, um which goes as follow you need to be compassionate, but with wisdom. You need your yes. wisdom to uh, guide your compassion. And it's mm -hmm. a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. 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 So everything's about balance. Um, it's great to be sensitive and empathic and intuitive. It's, a, it's like a superpower, but you need to know how to use it and not exhaust yourself in the meantime, because... If you have got this, if you like superpower, and you can connect with people on an energetic level, not just people, animals too, with everyone, with your whole surroundings, then um, 
in order to be the best person in that scenario, you need to manage your manage how you exude that energy, mm. manage how you behave in, in that situation so that you don't become exhausted so that you can continue to manage in that situation. Um, and that just comes with experience, I think, and, and, and age. Um, and uh, just just be mindful of, of taking care of yourself in that situation. Good. Talking about veganism is a perfect example of this because you tend to go vegan because a lot of people go vegan not just not necessarily because of the 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 diet but because of the compassion side of things and you see all these videos and you are absolutely devastated by all of this material that you've seen and your first your first instinct is to just shout from the rooftops everybody what are you doing you're killing everybody stop it um but and then when you're in social situations, you want to talk about it all the time. But that's not always the cleverest thing to do mm. because you are you're you're going crazy about this situation and all these people around you aren't where you are. So if you just hang back a little bit and just be calm around these people and just speak kindly and drop little hints every now and again, you'll allow them to come to their own conclusion rather than, if you like, doing it for them by telling them what they should do. Even if it's you much strongly to... feel this way, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. go on. So you, you mentioned um, being sensitive and I, I want to tie it back to ASMR, um, I guess you need to have that sensitivity in order to be receptive to um, uh, the, the feeling of uh, ASMR to that. Um, um, I think the word you use is tingles. <laughs> but yeah, so what's the profile of someone who's receptive to ASMR? Well, I've done a lot of live events um, there aren't many ASM artists who've gone and, and done live um, in-person situations, and I've done quite a lot of them. So I feel like I've done quite a bit of research on this. And it tends to be that the people I meet at these live events are very similar personality to me. Mm -hmm. In fact... I just feel like I'm surrounded by friends or, you know, really good friends all the time. Whenever, whenever I go, when I first did the, the first live event, people were writing comments and, uh, and saying to me face to face, what on earth are you doing? You know, there'll be weird people turning up. And I just looked at them and I thought, what, why would you say that? I'm not weird. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> Do you think I'm weird? <laughs> and, um, but, and I just knew it. I just knew it would be fine. And every single live event and every time I've done anything in person and met people from the ASMR community, they're all just really kind, calm and present and down to earth people who give the best hugs and, and have massive smiles on their faces. Another thing, I'll be in a shop and 
I'm looking at something and I look around at the people in the, in the same shop in around me and I can I can tell who's going to say who's going to either look at me like I know who you are <laughs> or come to me and say you're you're Emma from Whispers Red I can tell who it's going to be it's it's really it's really um I was thinking about it the other day because it happened in a shop the other day and I and I just thought I knew it was going to be her. I knew I knew that she she watches ASMR. You could just tell who the ASMR people are is what I'm trying to say. And um and so I feel through speaking with people and, and through all, all the comments that have come in over the years, because I've been doing this for 10 years now, all the ASM artists that I've met they would be along the lines of what I suppose what you would call an, a highly sensitive person, an HSP, if you want to put people into categories like that. Just sensitive people, people who aren't just sensitive to sound and light, but are intuitive and connected and grounded and really aware on a different on a different level to to, to some others. Perhaps the perhaps the type of person that would walk into a room and notice when a, a picture is out isn't straight before anybody else does. Or someone who would walk into a room and notice how other people are feeling in that room first. Like they would walk into that room and go, That person's really that person's feeling angry today. And they would spot it. But there are, you know, there are other personality types who would never notice anything like that. And it takes a whole range of people to make up a world. So no one's better than any other. But I just find that people who are receptive to the feeling are more sensitive that, than others in, in that regard. Mm. And yeah, they are the best people. I mean, um, my, my very best friend, uh, her name is Camille. She's the only one who understands my passion for ASMR. And we often share videos of uh, new ASMR artists we discover or some, you know, triggering videos we find. And yeah, we we are, we feel like it, we are in our own, you know, bubble with this ASMR universe. And yeah, I, I can completely relate to the description you have made. And I want to link that with um, th the world of animal rights and uh, animals in general, because um, two things. One, I often felt like being a very sensitive person is comparable to being like an animal, uh, like a cat or a dog, like th the sounds, you, you pay attention and you 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 realize that you turned your head at the same time as your cat or something like that. And also, second thing, I discovered that animals like my company, and when I thought about it, um, th the conclusion of my reflection was, oh, they like me because I, am, I, I build um, a calm environment around myself. I'm not a loud person. I, I'm very mindful of my surroundings. I'm very mindful of them. And I think they like that. They like the, the safety that it provides. They like um, that I'm this kind of person. And that's why they're attracted um, to, to my company. 
So I wonder, have you ever thought about how being sensitive uh, relates to being an animal lover uh, or um, caring for animals or having uh, gained the love and trust of the animals of your life? Well, I feel like if you're, as we term it, an HSP, a highly sensitive person, animals are the perfect example of a highly sensitive being. They communicate on, on an energetic level. They communicate through micro movements. Um, they can feel what you're feeling. They can sense what you're thinking, which direction you're going to walk in before you've even moved anywhere. They, they're so intuitive on so many different levels, on levels that we can't even understand, I don't think. Um, and if animals feel safe around you, then you're, you're connected with them. But I feel as if you, if you know, if you feel connected to everything around you, then you're going to relate to animals because they're your family, just like a tree is your family. Um, I've heard this, this story a lot among ASMR people. They would say to me that when they were little, if they had a favorite teddy bear or something, they would actually put human human emotions and thoughts into this teddy bear or inanimate objects. Um, say, for instance, you've got a... Um, this might look, sound weird, but um, a phone case, a, 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 a glasses case. When I was little, I would never take that glasses case and slam it down on the table mm. because I would feel like it would hurt the glasses case. Yes. <laughs> I know that sounds really odd, but there are so many people who say things like that to me um, because we innately feel connected to everything around us. And the same goes with animals. So it's very easy to love animals and to feel part of the family. If if you, it, I mean, if you're connected to an inanimate object, you're definitely going to love animals. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who aren't connected to anything around them um, and just see everything as an object, which is quite weird for someone who doesn't. It's like you're a different species almost because you just do not view the world. You have a completely different perception of the world to that to, to that person. Um, but yeah, going, going back to the original question that animals are so intuitive and um, and we just fit perfectly with them and not just not just pet animals, but all animals. They have a they have a a certain sophisticated intelligence um, beyond what we can comprehend. I think sometimes. And you know, you often when you express that sensitivity toward animals around you, you have to face the judgment of others who don't have that link, who don't have that sensitivity, and find your relationship with animals ridiculous mm -hmm. uh, 
and yeah, that can be uh, a harsh thing to experience. Yeah, I mean, I've I've experienced it a lot um, over the past few years, especially because when um, I decided to open the um, rescue in Serbia, I'm literally operating in a country where most people feel like that. You know, just just setting up the the premises, sorting out the property, dealing with all the contracts and everything, going to, to going to the solicitors and the notary and all that. So many times I've been in a situation where um, they're talking about me in Serbian, assuming that the only reason why an English person or any person would come over to Serbia to do something with the animals is because they were trying to make money somehow. Mm. And, um, and then, of course, I find out because the the manager of the sanctuary who um who the family that, that that live there and take care of the animals they um were very close and people don't expect that that we are that close mm. so i learn everything that they've been saying <laughs> in serbian um because their perception of animals is so different to ours and it's not that they're not good people it's that they have a complete indifference to, to to animals. They're not they're not connected to everything around them like we like we are. It's quite difficult to explain, and I'm still I'm still trying to figure it all out. Anyway, um, but they're just objects to them. Mm. They're possessions. But I would argue that. This is one good reason of opening a sanctuary in Serbia because this feeling is um, the the default feeling of the people there. Yeah, a sanctuary is such a rebellious um, entity in such context, yeah. and it's there to also teach them. It's there, of course, to help uh, the dogs, the animals but also to teach them that compassion, to teach them yep. to make that link with animals. Yeah, to, to, to set an example through action. It's very, very difficult, I'll be honest. Mm. So many times I've, I've felt like giving up because it's just not easy. And to run a charity full stop just isn't easy at all. Um, but to operate in, a, in an environment like that, uh, when I'm not there all the time as well. So so the family that we're very close to that are managing the place and, and, and with the animals 24-7, I mean, they've got the greatest hearts. They're such beautiful people. But we've even, you know, we've still had to have the conversations about and, and set the policies on exactly how they take care of the animals because they've grown up with no money at all. They've never been able to afford to, to neuter an animal or to keep them, you know, in, in the conditions that we've got them in. They've never been able to afford anything like that. So it's not the, it's not the, the one thing that they think of straight away. You know, I, I took over some heaters for, for our living space for the dogs back in January. And it took me a while to convince them that they need to actually put them on for more often than, more often than they were, because they were thinking, well, it's going to cost a fortune. And I said, well, 
yes, but the dogs will freeze. <laughs> you know, and and they love the dogs. You know, it's hard. It's it's hard for me to explain because they love the dogs but they've never lived in a situation where they could afford to heat the dogs and their default position is but we can't afford it so you know we still have to have these conversations where we decide exactly how we're going to do things and then make sure they're done um and then we're dealing with the the public and the people that just think oh you know there's a sanctuary there we'll just um, we'll just dump the the dogs outside the gate or dump the puppies outside the gate or not even that they just leave them on the road further up mm. and um and the locals who we went to pick up a dog um this guy wanted to get rid of his um his pointer who's about eight years old and he's a, he was in the local village and we went to see him and normally they would take that dog and they would just dump them by a busy road. So, you know, he didn't he didn't do that. He contacted us. So that was a good thing. Um, but he wanted to get rid of him because he's eight years old. He's had enough of him. He couldn't he said he couldn't afford to feed him anymore. His wife was in hospital. Fair enough. Um, but when we went round there, this dog was in such terrible condition, um, kept in a tiny little cage. And that didn't need to that didn't need to happen, regardless of whether he had money or not. He didn't need to do that because he, he had a courtyard that he, the dog could have been in. Um, so, but he 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 thought he thought that that it was fine that the dog was in the cage, and he had lots of cats around, and um, and of course, and whenever I'm around cats, like I can't stop touching them, and I'm I'm standing there, and these cats are coming towards me. And so I'm like, you know, chatting with the cats and and I picked up one cat and I'm cuddling this cat. And uh, and the guy just turned to me, and said, I'll oh, take the cat. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> just take it because he wanted us to take the dog. So he was in his mind, he was being nice to me. Just, you know, have what you want as long as you take the dog. Um, but I said, I said, no, this is the cat. This is your cat's home. And all of these cats here, they're your cat's family. I'm not going to take them. Why would I, you know, it was just, um, he, in his mind, he was being kind. But in mine, obviously, I'm, I'm like, you can't do that. You can't just give away the cat just like that, not even knowing where the cat's going to go or what environment they're going to be living in or, you know, it, it was just... I come across these situations that are really strange often when I when I go there. And uh, and it's heartbreaking, really. I mean, that's definitely nowhere near the worst situation that there is over there. That's that's very tame. Um, but it's just a, a, a small example. But the, the way that some people treat animals out there is absolutely disgusting. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And um, yeah. And why why do you think that they have that um, insensitivity toward um, animals? I know that Serbia has a horrible history of, of war and violence. Maybe this has to do 
with the way they relate to the world. Um, I know that you know people make the argument for cultural difference. Um, so, do you have any answers? Um, well, I can only speak to what I've experienced myself out in in Serbia and in and when I've visited other countries. Mm. Um, I I just believe it's down to um, economic situations. It's down to war. It's down to money. Um, because naturally, I feel that human beings gravitate towards love and kindness anyway, and connection to all things. If we're in the right environment, that's what we gravitate towards. If we're in an environment of scarcity and um, we're in fight or flight all the time because we're scared about you know, either being poor or, or we're in a war situation, then the most vulnerable in society always suffer. And so if if they hadn't been through war, if they did have, if there was plenty and more to go around, then then animals would be cared for more. Um, it's an interesting situation over there because I see that most people have dogs. Mm. And it's hard to find the language to explain it. And as I say, I'm still trying to figure it all out myself because so many people have dogs and they have pets and they, they look, they, on the face of it, love having animals at least and love being around animals. Um, but their, their animal status within the family is a lot lower than it would be within our family, for instance. So, they might have a little a little dog inside the house who who's allowed on the sofas and things like just a little one um but any any other dogs would be outside all the time and quite often they're on a chain um they don't get you know they don't go out walking with them very often although some do you know in the cities you see people walking with dogs but they're a particular breed mm. Um, any mixed dogs would be seen as a lot lower class and they'd be more likely to be just left. Um, they don't tend to neuter. I think they believe in sort of a freedom and would feel like that would be controlling the animal's life. But then when when the dog has puppies, then they don't think anything of taking the puppies and dumping them by a road. So that's quite odd. You know, if you if you feel like animals should be free to breed and, and live freely, why would you impose your will on the puppies by basically killing them? Mm. That doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't really know how to talk about it so much because I, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's, it's really, it's, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. Um, but then there are people who, you know, really love um, animals and try to, try to uh, improve the situation and they open their own rescues. Um Then there are people who who work in the government pounds who are nice, but then there are people who work in the government pounds who are extremely cruel as well, much like slaughterhouse workers. You know, sometimes 
there are still people who are who would feel they are, who 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 perhaps would come across as as compassionate in those places, but then some people who just are really really cruel and just really enjoy what they're doing. Hmm. Um, and there are people in the pounds who are like that who treat the dogs really really badly. Um, it's it it's it's an interesting place. It is full of people who who would call themselves animal lovers, but they just don't they just don't look after their pets like we would. Why did you decide to open a sanctuary in in, in this place in 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 Serbia? Um, how did it begin? How did the story of uh, with spouse began uh so i was just finishing off my book about asmr and um the chapters were being edited and coming back to me and re-edited and all of that um it was quite a stressful time because it was written so fast i mean um i hardly had any time to just breathe and as soon as the as soon as it was edited then I was recording the audio book like the day after, um, and, and, then so, was, and then it was released. <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but I would highly recommend people to listen to the book. I'm the kind of person who uh, likes to read a book, but for this book, I wanted to listen to it because you're the one narrating the book, and you use such a soothing voice, and it's such it's just perfect. Yeah, so I would highly recommend for people to listen to the whole five hours uh, of uh, of the book. Um, it's a it's a joy. It's truly a joy. So, yeah. Is it five hours long? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and so, whilst all that was going on, a friend of uh, friends of ours who we uh, go camping with, um, who we've been friends with for such a long time. They were going on holiday to Montenegro. And my friend Sarah said, we've got an extra room in our Airbnb. Would you like to come along? And I thought, oh, that'd be just amazing because I haven't organised any breaks this year for our family and no time off and everything. And I thought, that's job done. So um, so we went with them, never been to Montenegro. And and it was really lovely. We had, we had loads of fun, um, but there were dogs everywhere. And um, don't take me anywhere to where there are dogs and cats roaming around. It's just a disaster because I won't have a holiday. <laughs> and uh, and we went to the supermarket and there was a dog outside the supermarket and he was really sick. And he was walking around the cars, waiting by car doors as if to just ask for someone to take him. He was desperate to get into a car, basically, and go, and go, and leave. And uh, and I just couldn't rest. Um, so I fed him, obviously, and then kept going back every day to see him. Um, and and I just stood outside the supermarket and spoke to people. And I was looking for people who had good English who could who could communicate with me. And I had conversations with a few people and I, I was basically saying, could you help me take this dog to the vet? And um, it took a couple of days and eventually this family came towards me and they had amazing English and they were all, all, all the family was together. And it 
they were petting him. So I went over and spoke to them and they'd been, they'd noticed him as well. And they were looking out for him too. And, um, and I said, would you, would you help me to take him to the vets? Um, they didn't have the money to take him to the vets, um, but we did. And so we met the next morning. Thankfully, they turned up and that was Dushko and Ivana. And uh, we took him to the vets. We named him Jimmy. It cost 50 euros to save his life, basically. He had severe heartworm. He, he may not have pulled through. Um, and through the vets, we found a charity uh, called Stray Aid Montenegro. And they took him in, in foster care, till the end of the summer. That cost us another 50 euros. And um, and then after that, Dushko was able to take him to Serbia to go and live with them. And uh, so we just gave them, you know, money for food and that kind of thing. And we just became close. The lockdown started, COVID was going on. And uh, we just spoke throughout the whole thing. And we'd actually said really early on, how amazing would it be to open a sanctuary? One day, that's a dream of theirs. It's always been a dream of mine to help animals in some way. And just one thing led to another, and we ended up finding some a piece of land in Serbia. Land is very, very cheap out there. And I'd, I'd got the advance from my book, came through, and I just used that to buy the land. And it had a property on it. Um, it was completely dilapidated, but I sent more money. I did extra work, sent more money over to do the place up and they moved into it. And then we just started building the sanctuary from there. Um, yeah, it's just kind of one thing led to another, really. Yeah. It, you know, what you said about that uh, Serbian man who thought that you were trying to make money in some way, you were actually, you know, losing money. Uh, you wanted oh, so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, in one of your videos, um, you talk about how you wanted to use that money to uh, open an ASMR retreat. And yeah. instead, you decided to use it to save lives. Yeah, exactly. Um It, as I say, one thing just led to another, really, and the opportunity came along to, to, to buy the place. Um, yeah, it, it costs way more than I expected it to, to cost, as these things always do, mm. way over budget. And um, so basically, I've just been working the past few years doing extra work, sponsorships on, on my channel and anything that I could do to get extra money to pay for everything. Um But then, because it took two years to become a registered charity, it was it took a long time to uh, just to get all the paperwork together and basically convince the UK Charity Commission that that it was a good idea for us to be a charity. And because um, they don't particularly like, uh, well, it's 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 apparently it's the hardest thing to get registered when you're an animal charity and even more so overseas. So you really have to do some convincing um, and just show them as well that the finance, that the finances are watertight, mm. you know, how does the money go over there? What exactly is it, is it spent on? How do you deal with your, um, with your receipts? 
and your accounting, everything has to be done properly, which I would want to do anyway, because I want to make sure that anybody who donates, they know exactly where the money's gone. And that's why I wanted to be a registered charity because your accounts are online every year. They can see where the money's going, you know, and you have to show receipts for absolutely everything and make sure you get, whenever you get quotes in for work, that the, that you've got three quotes in and you've, you've, uh, chosen all the all you, you've you've chosen reputable builders and all of that stuff and everything's done above board um so all the money's kept in the uk and then we filter through to a multi-currency account so it's still kept in the uk really so because when money's sent over to a country like serbia it's harder to keep control over it so just things like that i just want, had to make sure that i explained to them exactly how we were going to run the charity um so it just took a long time and um yeah and, and so now we're just open to volunteers and um and people to help out more trustees there's, there's so much work involved in in running a charity and most of it's admin as well and most people don't really want to volunteer for admin work <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I think we'll manage it eventually well, this podcast is devoted to encouraging vegans to take action, to take the extra step, um, to follow your example. So what can we do? What can listeners do uh, to help you in this project? Well, fundraising is just is is always the biggest thing with charities. Every charity, I'm sure, would tell you the same thing. It's all about fundraising because there's never enough money. Um, at the at the moment, we're taking in dogs that are left by the side of busy roads because they're the most urgent cases. Quite often, they've already been run over, so they're using three legs and they need um, operations and um, they need all of their initial health care. So out in the Balkans, um, heartworm and... I've got a rescue dog here. Do you want to see him? Yes, of course. He's, he's come oh. up to second life. Come on, this is Trevor. He's so big. He's very big. <laughs> Hello. Oh, he looks like a barbet. I think it's the name of the um, uh, dog breed. I'm not sure. I've got yeah. no idea what breed he is. <laughs> but um, I found him when he was a puppy. Oh. And um, he'd been left. And you he'd decided to bring him. by a busy him. road. And he was living underneath um, um, a, an engine. So they have, um, in the countryside in Serbia, they have um, phone masts that are powered by engines in the middle of fields to, uh, I guess, to extend the um, uh, reach. And of the signal and he was living underneath it but he was he was very small and he's just grown to this big boy <laughs> I didn't know how big he was going to get but because I found him we've always had a really close connection and every time I went back there to Serbia he would just follow me everywhere and then I had to leave him and he was like why are you leaving me <laughs> So eventually I managed to um, work with another charity called Balkan Underdogs, 
who um, bring dogs over to the UK and they helped me to transport him over to the UK on one of their transport runs um, because at the moment we don't have volunteers to do uh, rehoming. You actually need quite a large team to do rehoming. You need people obviously to find the homes um, but to check out the homes and then a travel team to organize the, the paperwork for travel um, because Serbia isn't in um, any isn't an EU country it's even more difficult to um, to bring dogs out because you need extra paperwork also the UK isn't uh, in the EU anymore so that's extra paperwork too um, so we're just after volunteers really to get involved and to help uh, with just learn all the transport to get team together to to coordinate the whole thing um the the main focus over there is definitely going to be um community neutering um because what what we're realizing is that the people in our local areas are those who are allowing their dogs to reproduce and then dumping the puppies or the litters or they're keeping a, a cute puppy for a while and as soon as they could become naughty because they're not training them and they start chewing the furniture and things or whatever or they're not so cute anymore they'll just dump them so um neutering is going to be the biggest thing and it's also not the best thing to be transporting dogs across countries because every country has their own um th their own rehoming um issues and their own uh, pounds with dogs in you know the uk has a lot of um dogs in in rescues that need need rehoming um especially after covid because people took puppies bought puppies and um, then had to go back to work um so we're really going to have to focus on uh on neutering and neutering programs within serbia um we're We've been raising money to finish the facilities um, at Wispaws. And um, so, so obviously, so we can take on more dogs um, and we'd like to build a cattery at some point. I actually envisaged, envisaged Wispaws to be not just for dogs and cats, but to be an, an animal sanctuary, which is why I called it an animal sanctuary. Um, but the most urgent problem there at the moment on our doorstep is dogs and cats because they're just everywhere. They're literally outside the gates. Um, so uh, once the facilities are finished or the most urgent facilities, I would like to um, have some accommodation there so that people can come over and experience Serbia Um and but work with the dogs and um and go out and rescues and you know spend some time kind of like a retreat for humans you know mm -hmm. um it's a very healing experience to go out and take care of animals and take care of their day-to-day -day needs um to do something outside of yourself for someone else and someone else so deserving is such a healing experience and I think more people really should experience that it would really help them as well um you know with my work in ASMR I meet lots of people who deal with anxiety on a daily basis at the very least that would give them some respite to go over and spend some time and just work with the animals um so 
because they, you know, the animals are healers and they teach us so much. Um, and it would just be lovely to provide that for people too. So I'd like to either have two couple of caravans or um, um, we could build some um, cabins, something like that for people to stay in. Because um, I'm finding that as a charity, it's it's quite, I don't know whether this is true, but I feel sometimes that it's quite tiresome for people to be always asking for donations. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're there and you're in the situation, you're, you can see how desperate it is. But when you're on the other end of social media and it's a charity just asking you for money, you don't actually see and I know that we share posts and things but unless you're there you don't really see how desperate it is like if you were there a lot of people would go just 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 take all the money because we need to deal with this situation because it's 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 really stressful um and I don't always want to show how stressful it is because it upsets people and people don't want to follow your social media if you're going to stress them out all the time either it's very difficult to balance how you communicate what's going on over there with 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 people um so yeah it it would be great to have a way to raise money through um, renting out accommodation for instance and offering a place for someone to stay so that we could bring some money in for the charity but also allow people to see what's going on um, and attract volunteers to do fundraising events and things like that. Yeah, I'm got, I've gone off on a tangent, but I'm just trying to oh, no, explain it's, what I'm doing. It's all very interesting. And, you know, I actually work in fundraising. I fundraise for all sorts of nonprofits. And what I always um, tell the, the nonprofits that I'm advising is you're actually, you're not begging for money. I, I hate that word. You're actually giving the opportunity for people to make a gift because making a gift is something pleasant. It's something that brings a lot of meaning in one's life. It's mm. something that has a, there's a joy to, to giving and being able to offer people that opportunity to practice giving, to uh, experience that joy Um mm. Is a, is a gift in in of itself, and yeah. I, I feel that way as someone who who is a donor. Um, when when I give to a charity, I feel grateful. I'm mm-hmm. able to to do that, and yeah. I'm sure you feel the same way. You felt the oh, same yeah. way when you spent the money you spent on uh, building the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been very, very difficult, and and I have had doubts every now and again, thinking, did I, have I done the right thing? You know, could I, could I have put this money um, into the same situation, but in a different way? Would that have helped? You know, but there's no right or wrong way to do it. Really, you just have to, um, you just have to follow the opportunities as they come along, and I do think in the long term it will be the best it will have been the best option to actually have have invested that money in buying an actual sanctuary rather than uh, sending the money over there to support another um, a rescue that, that, that was there. 
because this way we have full control over the outcomes for the animals. You know, we are following every single step of the way and making sure that every policy is followed and every every dog that goes through those gates has has the best health care that they can possibly get um because they're ours mm-hmm. we're not just sending money and hoping that it goes to the right place we are we are doing it ourselves from you know every step which i think is really important and also you're vegan and for me that's the most important thing because i know your values i know that you understand you know the relationship between humans and uh, animals and that your vegan values will um, direct your efforts um, uh, in regard to the sanctuary and how you care for animals there's a big difference between initiatives for you know animal welfare led by non-vegans and vegans yeah it's a whole other world it's a whole other yeah. game I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, the that mentality is is in every policy for the charity, and it's um, it, it makes a difference to to every single step of the way for the dogs. You know, what, even down to the way that I communicate with Dushko and Ivana over there, I say to them, "Look, these animals are your children. This is how this is how you take care of them." You know, and um, like I said before, they are such great people and they've got beautiful hearts. And, you know, I knew I knew from the moment I met them and from every interaction I had with them that this would work, that they would be great managers there. Um, but like I say, you know, I, I'm bringing my values into way that into the way that they manage the place and the trustees of the charity have the same mentality as well and the future trustees will have that same mentality so that will show in every policy and every and ultimately every outcome for the dogs um it's so easy as well to to open this kind of um a sanctuary basically and just fill it with animals we could go to a we could go to a government shelter tomorrow and and get over 100 dogs straight away um, but that would mean that the that the living space that that the quality of life for the dogs that are in the sanctuary would be drastically lowered. So it, it's a really it's a really heartbreaking situation. It's a very very difficult thing to manage because and and everyone I've spoken to who who's who's run any kind of animal charity has told me that it's best to do it on a smaller scale but do a really good job for each animal but how how awful is that because you miss out so many others as well it's really really it's a very difficult thing to do and we all have these dreams of you know taking care of animals and and having a sanctuary one day and doing we all have these dreams but the reality of it is much harder than we expect but it can become easier with more people being involved. And, and and another thing I would say is that since I've started this, whenever, you know, I'm out and about in town, you know, doing my uh, chores and things, and I'll tell people about it, because in England we always chat in shops and we tell everything to everybody. <laughs> 
and um, or, or you know or I'll be speaking to someone online or whatever and and they'll say to me I'll tell them what I'm doing and they'll say oh I could never do that and I say well why do you think you could never do it and this and they say well because I, I look at those videos and it's too heartbreaking you know when you see a rescue video mm-hmm. and so I could never do it and one thing I have found, and I can say with absolute certainty, is that you could do it because that feeling of helplessness that you have when you're watching a video, when you're in that situation in reality, taking that dog, all of those feelings are gone because you are acting, you are doing something, you are completely healing any of those uh, feelings that you would have had by doing it. And um, and it's such an amazing feeling to save a life, you know, that you have the power to do that. You can walk, you can stop that car, you can stop your car, you can get out of the car and you can pick up that dog that's on the side of the road and you can take them back and, you know, take them to the vets and everything and give them everything that they need. That's such an amazing feeling. It's not like watching the videos. Um. So I would say to anybody who who has that feeling that, you know, that they would find it hard or that they couldn't do it, you definitely could. I can tell you, if I can do it, then you could do it. That's a very empowering message and a beautiful invitation for people. Um, and the main reason why I love this initiative, why I love Wispout, because it's uh, the embodiment of, hope you know you have this desert of animal exploitation which is serbia and in the middle of that desert you have an oasis of compassion and love and kindness uh, towards all animals it's so beautiful when you contemplate on on that on um, how such a beautiful thing could rise in such a an ugly place in terms of animal exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got a long way to go. And, um, but each, I'd say every few months, the facilities are improving. We're learning more. The animals' lives are improving. And the word is getting out there about what we're doing. We're attracting more help. And slowly, slowly, it is becoming what you say, an oasis. And I can, I've got so many amazing visions for the place, you know, because it's a beautiful place. Serbia is beautiful. And where we have our sanctuary is, is a beautiful setting in the countryside. And the sunsets are absolutely stunning. It's it's so strange to be in this beautiful place. And when you go to the cities, the, the buildings are incredible. And everything's rackier and, you know, everything's though, come and have a drink with us and everybody's happy and, you know, nice people. But then but then you've got this situation with the animals. It's quite shocking to be going back to what I said before, I'm still trying to work it out. It's so odd to me. Um but whenever I go there I'm just filled with so much hope because I see I see how amazing the place is going to be and in and, and fast forward a few years time it's going to be just gorgeous and and 
and the dogs that are there now are really happy. You know, they live outside, but we've got a big barn um, with heaters in and um, and they they sleep in there. But in and the winters are quite harsh, but we've got the, the, the heaters now. But in the summer, the weather's so amazing out there and they've got beds and blankets and all those things that you would expect that you would have to take care of the dogs. They've got all those luxuries, all those comforts, but they still choose to sleep outside. And you'll walk around and there's a dog sleeping in a bush all night. They're happy, you know. They've got all this land to run around in and they play together, they they play fight, they, they do their rounds around the perimeter. Um, they just, to them, they're, they're in a great place. Um, but then as the facilities improve, they'll be in an even greater place. And then hopefully the dogs that we have will be able to get homes for and uh, and and send them to, to, to different countries, hopefully. We have actually rehomed some of our dogs locally, believe it or not. You know, we found family members and we found kind families around that, that, that have taken them and um, and they've got good lives. They're not chained up or anything like that. They're in a family. So there, things are improving. And, and one thing I will say about Serbia is that they've adopted a new um, annual welfare policy uh, law uh, that came into force 2019. It's not particularly enforced as yet, um, but it's it's a decent animal rights law um so the framework is in place so it's just going to take time for things to improve you know one thing that we're going to do is is work with the local community as much as we possibly can get through to them you know we'll 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 be asking them to uh neuter their animals we'll be offering them um we'll be offering to do it for them even and um, just to bring down the um, the amount of dogs that are are dumped, and just through those conversations that we have with them, we'll be we'll be we'll be just giving them a different idea, a different perception, perhaps hopefully, and um, and just get used to them thinking that it's a good idea to do because once they've seen that their dog's been neutered and they're not producing, they'll be like, oh, this is this is actually quite good. It's just not something they considered spending money on before. But if it's free, then they'll probably go for it. So we'll just uh, we'll, we'll we'll do as much as we can to 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 help the local community. Amazing, um, Emma. I think we covered enough grounds <laughs> on the topic. Um, did you want to add something before we end this conversation? Um, I just ask people if if they would like to get involved, um, then they can email me at info at wispaws.org, W-H-I-S-P-A-W-S dot org. And, um, and the website is wispaws.org. Um, we're on social media, wispaws underscore rescue. Um, like I say, we, we need a travel team. We need a rehoming team, um, people to take care of different bits of admin. And the more people that are on these jobs, the less work it is for everybody. Fundraising is a massive, um, 
massive area that needs extra help. Um, so any, anyone that can help with fundraising at any time with anything would be just absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm extremely um, open about what, what, what needs doing, how much money we need to do it, um, where the money's going, you know, very, very transparent about all of that stuff. It's, I think it's very, very important that people know exactly where that money's going. So, um, yeah, I'm working on just um, lists of things that need doing and how much they're going to cost. And then once they're done, we show that the work's been done and, and all of that. And then obviously people could come and visit and get involved as well. And all of the details, the references you gave, uh, will be available in the description below uh, for for people to uh, you know see. Yeah. Emma, this has been a pleasure. This has been such an inspiring uh, conversation, and I hope, really hope, the message gets across. Um, thank you so much for having been a guest on the show and for having answered my questions. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been really, really lovely to speak with you. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I kindly invite you to share this podcast with the vegans you know. Let's encourage more people to take action. Again, thank you so much for caring, and I will see you next Tuesday for a new episode.